0: Welcome to the Live Treasure Podcast, brought to you by Treasured Ministries, where every week we coach you with steps of faith you can take today to change your tomorrow. And now, on to today's show. Hey, everybody. Today, we're diving into part two of our series, What is the Baptism of the Holy Spirit? Last week, I shared with you what was, in my opinion, in my experience, One of the best sermons I've ever heard on this topic by Pastor um, Brian Hart. We had the honor of sharing that um, on our podcast. And today, Pastor Brian Hart is going to be our guest. Yay! And so I'm going to be interviewing him more about this topic. It's a fabulous interview, so you don't want to miss it. But Brian Hart lives... In Moorhead City, North Carolina, which, for those of you who are not from North Carolina, that's at the beach. Very blessed, right? Anyway, he lives in Moorhead City, North Carolina with his wife, Kimberly, and five children. He's a former U.S. Marine and has been serving as the executive pastor of One Harbor Church since 2012. Brian is currently studying. For the Master of Divinity at Gordon Cornwell Theological Seminary, and today he comes to share with us wisdom from the Word. Let's welcome Brian to the Live Treasured Podcast. Thank you for
1: having me. This is a uh, the first time I've ever been on a podcast, so this is a huge honor.
0: Well, we are so glad that uh, that you're here, and um, and for for my audience. Um, Brian Hart is the pastor of One Harbor Church, and I—I I really that's our church that we visit when we visit the beach in in North Carolina. Um, but I—I I love going to the beach, but literally one of the reasons why I love going to the beach is to go to church on Sunday. And I just want to encourage you—we're going to leave the links to One Harbor Church. They do a great job of putting up resources like sermons and just all kinds of resources. So you can check out their church. And then if you're ever in the Crystal Coast area, um, because you all have locations in Beaufort and Moorhead and Swansboro. Am I missing one?
1: Uh, and New Bern.
0: And Newburn. Sure. So if you live in North Carolina and at your be- at the beach or Newburn, it's a great church. Uh, to check out. so so today um, we're continuing part two uh, of our podcast series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we all know inside of the church that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be a very controversial topic and in my opinion, I think this grieves the heart of God because the Holy Spirit, is so special and precious. It is what the Bible tells us. It is the power that we can have as believers um, to walk in love and to do God's will. And, uh, you know, sometimes um, when we come to the end of ourselves and we're just so frustrated, the Bible tells us that you know we can serve in a new way. Romans says we can serve by the Spirit, and so, um, and so that's what we wanted to talk about today. I was visiting church, as you know from the podcast last week, and heard Pastor Brian give a sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was the best sermon that I had ever heard, and I was so excited about it because from my own journey. I was extremely confused over the topic, and Brian, your sermon just gave such uh, clarity. So I I really appreciate that, and and I want to go ahead and say that um, I know that our audience, we have got many denominations and probably many viewpoints on this, and I just want to ask everybody, just lay down your armor, and you know that I'm a woman of the Word, and and I'm just here to have a conversation because um, the Holy Spirit is so special and and precious, and it's a beautiful, um, it's it's a beautiful place of nourishment, of power, of resource that we can plug into as believers, and I just appreciate really your courage in talking about it. Um, to it hmm. really reminded me of that source of um of of power that God has given us to walk and to do his will. and it's nothing that we need to be afraid of or uh, and so that that's what we want to talk about today. We want to put some light um on this topic and and hopefully, you know give you some wisdom, maybe an insight, maybe some things that you, hadn't have thought about before, and then just practically give you ways where you can begin to um, just just dive in to that living water and incorporate this into, into your uh, discipline. So I want to start with the illustration that you gave in the sermon about um, a father's love for a child and the baptism mm. of the Holy Spirit. Can you um, just explain that again, and and just what led you to give that illustration for this um, this biblical principle?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and again, just thank you for the yeah, thank you for the kind words. I um, I'm indebted to just so many yeah older brothers, older sisters. That whole sermon has come out of just uh many years of me wrestling and. Mm-hmm. Thinking, trying to think think better, and then and, and really desire the the experiences of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm mm-hmm. I'm in, in many folks that particular uh, that particular um, image that 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 story that that metaphor that you mentioned um, I uh, read about in a book called Unspeakable Joy by Martin Lloyd Jones, which is really a whole book on largely on the the baptism of the Spirit. Um, and he actually got it from, um, an old, an old Puritan, Thomas Goodwin. Okay. And so I, you know, what I, what I gave was a, basically a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, so that here, you know, for, for, maybe anyone who didn't hear the sermon, um, Goodwin tells the story, you know, of, uh, just, you just imagine a father walking down the road with his son and, uh, they're holding hands and they have a great relationship. And this little boy knows his father loves him. And um, as they're walking, the father kind of abruptly stops. And for reasons of his own choosing, he, he bends down and he scoops up his his boy and he throws him up in the air and swings him around and wraps his arms around him. And maybe runs his hand through his son's hair and looks at him and laughs and gives him a kiss and then um, puts him back on the ground. And they each other by the hand and they continue walking. And Goodwin said that's a way of thinking about the baptism of the Spirit. Um, and what I, I there's actually a lot to like about that metaphor. Mm-hmm. The the first thing that I like is that it reflects what the Spirit is meant to do. Every experience of the Spirit is meant to highlight the love of God. Mm. And I think I think sometimes that the debates about this. Um, Sometimes put the cart before the horse, um, unfortunately, in my opinion, or get focused on um, kind of trivial issues, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The point of the Holy Spirit is not to make people feel like they're super Christians, or um, Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's always about the love of Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not just even—it's not even just always for you. It's about the—it's about the church. So. Mm Paul makes that very clear in first Corinthians it's for the building up of the church, but it's, it's for the building up, up of the church in love. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that picture I think is that when I first heard that or or first read that it, it blessed me because, um, Mm -hmm. it, it helped me remember that that's what I am to be desiring is the love of the father. I mean, Paul was always writing to the churches, praying that they would comprehend the size of God's love. Yes. and the, the other thing I like about that, um, about that picture is it highlights the, and this is where some of the debate happens is, you know, you've got people on one side saying, oh, you know, Christians always have the spirit. And, if, and of course they do. We always have the presence of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But even in, 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 frankly, in any kind of relationship, you can have the reality of the relationship. You can even have the presence of somebody in the room with you. But then you can have a unique experience of that person and their love, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what we see in Acts in particular. That the baptism of the Spirit is a kind of experience that happens in time; it um, it has a duration. You know, it doesn't. It's not uh, that kind of experience isn't permanent. W- whereas, of course, the presence of the Spirit in our hearts is perma- is permanent. That's mm-hmm. the. Um, you know, the regenerating work of the Spirit that happens when we, when, 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 we, when we believe in Christ and saving faith, which is a gift from God, when that is given to us. Um, the Holy Spirit makes us home, and He never leaves. So we always, we always have His presence, but we have—and so that's reflected in, in the picture. You know, this boy is walking down the road with his father. His father is present. And yet, there is an experience, and we should. And I think the point is, we should want that. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. It would be. It would be. Um, unhealthy. Yeah. If you had a son who winced mm-hmm. or recoiled from the loving embrace of his father, mm-hmm. and so we don't want to be Christians who shy away. I mean, I, I guess another way of saying this is that. The baptism of the Spirit and experiences of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, um, those things weren't made up by the Pentecostals. They weren't made up by whoever it is we think you know, does those things and maybe does them badly or does them weirdly. Like mm-hmm. if it's a gift from God, then it's, it's from God, and we should want that yeah. in the yeah. same way a child should want to be scooped up by his father.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful, um, and it it just captivated me when you explained it that way because when I was saved um, at the age of 22, it was because the person that was um, praying, I was in a small group meeting, and the person said—talked about the love of the Father, and— mm. Um, and you know, that we can have all this in our life, but we have to surrender our lives to, to the Lord. And, um, and I thought to myself because of my own father void in my life, I want that. I need that. I need Mm. that love. And so that was my salvation experience. That's what drew me to the Lord. Um, and, uh, and then, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that I received later, um, but I did go through. I was a part of a um, Christian organization that I love. We we support it financially, and they're wonderful. They're wonderful. They teach the Word of God, um, but there was this caution you know, inside of our, they were Bible study groups, and it was just, don't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that conversation starts, shut it down. And there was almost this fear to it. And because... I didn't grow up reading my Bible. I grew up, you know, typical Southern, going to church every Sunday like it was club. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, um, but so, so I was like, so all that I knew about my walk with the Lord was through this organization. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like I, like, yeah, like, and so, and it was almost kind of like this. um, And I was in leadership for it, and it was like they were making us the Holy Spirit police. You know what I mean? Like so so that was kind of my experience with that and and I was like okay, I got it. And then um and then for me, then I started meeting people that were maybe on the other end. And mm-hmm. I also had some negative experiences there. I felt like I met what I call holy spirit bullies, like you know, making me feel like I was less than Christian and whatever because I wasn't you know, doing this or that or whatever. And, um, and so it really kind of just like, I was like, well, I'm just not going to talk about it. Sort of like politics almost like I'm not going to talk about it because everybody's upset and angry. I'm not going to touch it, you know, and, um, but then God led me through this experience. And part of that was reading, um articles uh from people like Corey Tin Boom and Dwight Moody and all of these um, you know, saints of the faith that had done amazing things for the Lord and that I highly respected. And um, and so then I just went on a journey and I asked for God to show me. And I, I love that you're talking about the father's love because I have two boys, and they're very different. And when I want to lavish love on my boys, I do it differently because I have one child that loves words of affirmation, loves them. And I have another child that his love language is gifts. And I I think we have to be careful in describing what our experience was, almost kind of like... Well, I'm God's favorite because He gave me this, and you don't have it, and so you're less than me. I mean, have you had that experience? Like, and, and so then I think like people either become a police, like, no, it's it's not this anymore, or they're a bully, like, if you're not doing it this way, then it, it's wrong. Am I making any any sense?
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people who might otherwise be open to the, 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 you know, what we might call the ongoing supernatural work of the spirit or the, uh, the, the supernatural gifts of the spirit. I think some people who might be more open to them are oftentimes not because of the abuses of, um, what, what I would call kind of like the hyper charismatic mm-hmm. community, um, and and of course there's a lot of abuse once you get into like the televangelists and the way that they have just totally fleeced people. Yeah. And you and, and 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 the way that the gifts of the spirit have factored into those kind of ministries, I think has been um has been really, really terrible. Yeah, um I agree. What what you said also it does exist. You know, there now I'm fortunate I I didn't experience this personally, but I know of many people who've come out of communities where, you know, the gifts of tongue, the gift of tongues, in particular. You know, if you don't, if you do speak in the gifts of tongues. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the gift of tongues, then you're either not a Christian or you're mm-hmm. a Christian. Um, which is a, which is strange because Paul pretty much, I mean, flatly, flatly su- suggests that 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 can't be the case because he he, he, he asked the questions like, are, are do we all have, do, are all given the same gifts? You know, no, we're not. We don't. We're we supposed right. to use the, we're supposed to use the gifts that we're given. Yes. Which your point, I, I think is wonderful. The diversity of gifts that we see in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also take the view and, you know, not everyone would agree with me on this, but I would say the passages that talk about the gifts and in, in Romans and in first Corinthians, um, I I don't think that they're exhaustive. So I think that, um, obviously those, it's great that we have those lists. We know that, that, that the, um, the gift of prophecy is a thing like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's clearly in scripture. And, and I, I find it remarkable that administration, which, which sounds so mundane, but that's included in the list of gifts. So my view would be that, uh, those lists are not exhaustive, but, but anything that you're good at is a spiritual gift. Um. And so that can include things that seem normal, and that it can include things that don't seem normal. Um, and I also think that w- we see in First Corinthians that there's a bit of a, a hierarchy to these gifts. They're not all this, they're not all equally useful. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Paul says that we are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. But love trumps everything. So. Yeah. So, you know, the, the gifts aren't all the same, but we, but there's a diversity and we're called to use whatever gifts we have. And then I think we're also called to, to desire the gifts. So it's not enough. I think I said this in the sermon, you know, it's mm-hmm. not enough to hold them out with it. I mean, do we want to tell God one day that we didn't want what he was giving us? Yeah. That is not going to go well. I yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, we, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly like you know we we should want all that God has, and I, I appreciate what you just said specifically about tongues, um, because I think that is a place where people can um, you know make other people feel less than, or where the dividing line is, or, or all of that. Um, I <laughs> I and I have one woman that I know of um, in my life. I'll, I'll tell you this story really quickly. Um, I did a Bible study group one year at my house, and there were 10 women, all different ages, um, all different stages of faith, and all different denominations. Mm -hmm. And we had um, one gal in our group. She was as precious as she could be, 26, brand new believer, Grew up in a mm-hmm. home where there were atheists and all. And anyway, and she is an artist and she's just kind of this, you know, uh, just loving, bubbly person. And then um, also in the group, we had um, older sort of pillars of uh, the faith, Southern Baptists. So she comes in one night and we have dinner at my house. We did that every time before Bible study. And she said, Guess what? And <laughs> She said, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit this weekend. And then there was dead silence at the table. And I was like, oh, Pandora's (laughs) box has been open. And so I could just see, you know, from the other side, like disapproval and all of that. And I said, that's a great topic. I said, you know what? I want everybody to do this week. I want you to write down on an index card what you believe about. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Well, next week when we came in, you know, there was one person that was sick, That person that was there, the 26-year-old couldn't come. It was just the two ladies that were very tight-lipped. I could tell they were trying to be polite. And so we talked from eight o'clock until 11 o'clock. And at the very end of our conversation, one of the ladies said, I want to tell you my story. And she said, I had a woman that told me I was not saved because I wasn't speaking in tongues. And I said, you know not. And I said, well, no wonder you're so defensive about this. And I said, I would have been too. And I said, let me just tell you that that's not biblical. And um, But it was a beautiful, fabulous conversation and... Um, and uh, so we, and we looked in scripture together and um but it was so sad to me, um that somebody would would say something like that when clearly that is not what scripture says um and I think that that is part of the problem why people don't they they don't know they're unsure. Or they've had a bad experience, and so then they just don't touch it. Um, so, um, yeah. And I, I'd love to. We we kind of talked about this a little bit, and and you invited us inside of church to, you know, to spend some time with the Lord. I think, you know, the Holy Spirit and that journey is something that we take with the Lord and we wrestle with. But if somebody's listening today and they're like, you know, I'm not sure about this, but I, I'm like a little bit hungry for what you're talking about. But you know, mm. I'm in a church and we don't, you know, this is not talked about every Sunday. What What are some things that you would tell them to do? I mean, because it is kind of confusing. There's so many, yeah. so much information out there, and you know, it's kind of like I, I don't know. Like, well
1: yeah, yeah that, that, that's a great question and the first thing I would say is that um, it's confusing to us and it seemed like it was confusing to the Corinthians <laughs> um, you, know, this, you know this you know first Corinthians 14 it's it's amazing it's even in the in the book 12, 12 through 14 it's kind of amazing it's even in the Bible It's it's Paul basically writing to a church and saying look you guys are not doing these things well you know from the very beginning I think We've had a hard time understanding how do we how do we actually work this stuff out. There's real wisdom needed, and not just so we want to have the desire and the joy, but then we also need to have wisdom and knowing how to um, how to use these things. And in, in my church, we're really struggling with this. I think we've we've got a really robust theology mm-hmm. of the gift of the Spirit, mm-hmm. but I think that our our practice lags behind our belief. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're trying we're I mean, this is an area we're really praying that God is going to help us take some ground and give us some wisdom on. So so just if anybody's feeling that way, I think, you know, um, we, we want to grow and, and hopefully grow out of that. We don't want to always just be confused. But I think it's, it's good to know that in the history of the church, I think the confusion has been there since the very beginning. I think that these things have, have not always been easy to understand how to work out. Um, so I think a couple things come to mind for me. Um, I think, I think prayer, which I'm going I'm to come back to in a second. I think, I think prayer and learning. Um, so I, on the learning front, beyond the, the texts in the Bible that speak to these things, which I think are obviously very instructive, and a lot of my sermon was rooted in some of those passages. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple books that were really have been really helpful for me that are very accessible. Um, one is called Practicing the Power. By Sam Storms, um, which is which is really written as an—he's uh, also got another one um, called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. But both of those are very, very accessible, and he has a real high view of doing—exercising uh, the gifts in an orderly way in compliance with the principles that we see in 1 Corinthians. I love that. Uh, yeah. And, and an, another book that— a, um, is a little bit I think a little bit newer a little bit more recent um, came out a few years ago it's called Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson um, which is a wonder I mean that's actually uh, that book's doing it's it's shorter but it's really trying to show Christians how they can embrace both the sacramental more traditional liturgical sides of Christian worship and at the same time embrace a charismatic um Worship experience, and and that those two things are not mutually exclusive. and i I think that his his book is very short, but it's very punchy. So anyone who's new to these things, I think those those would be great places to start just by I think some because I think sometimes you've got to hear people talk about this, who've got a grid for doing it in the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be really helpful. Um, and then I think the other thing, I just think there's no way around this. I think we have to ask. Um, and, and I would say one of the hardest things about that is that we are not good at persevering in our asking. Mm-hmm. I think we're very quick to get discouraged. Um, and I think you know in the Gospels, not just, not just in regards to the Holy Spirit, but in much of Jesus' ministry, he was always, you know, he's always asking people what they wanted— He's always coming. I and mean, Jesus asked a lot of questions. What do you want? He wanted people to say yeah. what they want. Yeah. And didn't always respond right away. I mean, some yeah. people had to cry out mm-hmm. multiple times to get a response. And mm-hmm.
0: The I Gentile mean, he, woman that, you know, persevered and, and broke yeah. through. Yeah. So sorry for interrupting. Yeah.
1: No, no. Yeah. The Syrophoenician woman is a, is a great example of someone who— it's a bit of a strange story, isn't it? She comes and Jesus really seems to be quite cold to her at first. Mm-hmm. At least in our, in our, with our 21st century American lenses, it seems like a very, it's a, it seems like a bit of a strange story, but she she insists, she perseveres. And Jesus encourages that behavior. He tells parables about you should ask, like you're you're going to your neighbor's house and you're beating on the door and you're not going to stop until you get an answer. I, yeah. I think it's, you could, because I think you would expect him to say the opposite. I think we would expect him to say, well, this is your heavenly father you're talking about. You know, you'd better, you don't want to pester him. You don't want to bother him. And, and he's always, I think grace is always the opposite of what we expect it to be. Um, mm. just, Jesus never criticized people for asking too little. He only ever, uh, sorry, Jesus never criticized people for asking too much. He only ever criticized them for asking too little, mm. you know. Gosh, that's father, such a
0: great
1: point. Yeah. Yeah. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's waiting to give us good gifts. I and mean, Jesus, Jesus literally says, if you if if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our, our kids, how much more will the heavenly father give us? And in in that in that context, he's specifically talking about the Holy Spirit. So I think, you know, God is He is very patient with us. And He um mm-hmm. He wants to draw out the desires of our hearts. And so sometimes the way that desire is created is by the continual asking. So, again, getting back to the question, I think um, I think there needs to be – someone who wants the baptism of the Spirit, there is no shortcut. I think there needs to be an asking and then a continual asking. Mm-hmm. Um I shared in the sermon, the story of Dwight Moody, who, Mm. I mean, he, I mean, it was months and months of, um, I mean, the way that he writes about it, you would think that he did little else but, but pray and beg and plead. And, um, in his book, unspeakable joy, Martin Lloyd-Jones really makes a big deal about that. The importance of pleading. I think this is another area where charismatic theology, I think has really gone sideways is with the name it, claim it kind of. Yeah kind of theology. And I, I'm, I don't want to get too far down the road talking about that. I mm-hmm. think there's so much about that that's unhelpful mm-hmm. and, um, it ends up, it doesn't end up blessing people. It ends up, um, it ends up making people feel guilty. You know, did I not have enough faith? I, I claimed yeah. it nothing. Yeah. God's not a vending machine. Um, mm-hmm. but he wants us to plead. So we don't, mm-hmm. we don't claim the baptism of the spirit like, Like he's a a spirit in a, a genie in a bottle who can be conjured. He can't be conjured, but, but we have to ask again and again, and we have to keep asking. And then we just trust the Lord. Um, And when, and I, and I think the other thing I would say is that if, if this isn't happening in the ways that, that someone, you know, for someone who's asking and nothing's happening, it's so easy to get discouraged and this is where I think it's very, very important to remember that no matter what happens, the baptism of the Spirit does not um, – it does not mean you are more loved. And it doesn't even mean – it's not used as confirmation even, proof that you're a Christian. You, We know from Scripture that you can be a Christian and not have the baptism of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that what the enemy will want to do, and this is, this is where I think fear gets in the way. I think some of us are afraid to ask because we don't want to be disappointed. I, I struggle with that. I oh,
0: yeah, record. that's good. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, I don't want to make big asks because, well, what if God doesn't answer them the way that I want? And I, again, remember, Jesus had that experience. He was in the—I mean, some of us—I don't know how much we reckon with the fact that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed a prayer that went unanswered, um, mm-hmm. or at least answered— Maybe unanswered is, is a bit clumsy. It was answered not in the way that he wanted in his flesh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so Jesus can identify with us in that. Sometimes God does not respond to us in the ways that we're wanting in the moment. And um, so so the enemy will want to sow seeds of discouragement. See, God's not listening to you. He doesn't really love you. He loves other people more than you. You know, none, none of that is true. Mm-hmm. He he wants us to keep coming and to keep asking. And I I think the other thing that goes with that is these things are hard to do in a vacuum. So if you're not in a church community that has a culture of this, it can be very, very hard.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But if possible, to try to find one other person who has faith for this Mm -hmm. and to get them to pray with you, maybe even to lay hands on you, invite other people. I mean, I actually recently did this. Mm -hmm. I... I was feeling, um, I won't get into the whole story, but I went to another pastor in uh, on our staff. And I, I went to his office and I said, I want you to just put your hands on me. I, I want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that can be helpful to invite other people into it as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and then to just trust the Lord. You know, he's going to, you don't have to muster up a feeling. That's not how it works. You just ask and wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's so good. I'm glad that you brought out that feeling part of it. And I think you're so right. I mean, we're so conditioned to um instant gratification that when it doesn't happen right away, you know, we we assume we did something wrong or it's not true. Um and I love what you said that grace is like just just the opposite of that. And time and time again we see in the scriptures that Jesus invites us to participate in in the process of healing, in the process of salvation, in the process of um, asking in prayer. So there there is a role that he asks us to pray or, or to be a part of. And I think that that's just so by design and so beautiful because when we participate in the journey, there's a intimacy that, that comes from that. And it's like, this was my own, this was my own journey, you know, with, with the Lord. Um, just like when you're reading the word and you know that, you know, that God (laughs) has given you a scripture that's yours to anchor your soul to. And I think that's, you know, the, the same thing here. And there's a um, the, the other thing that I love, too, about all the stories you told in, in the sermon with different people is that it's different for different people, the, the way that it happens. And so don't compare your experience with somebody else, and then don't push your experience on, on somebody else. Don't push experience, push Jesus push, you know, push the Holy Spirit and and inspire through, um, inspire through that way. And I also just want to mention to our audience, I will put all the books that Pastor Brian has mentioned in the podcast description with the link so that you can go and, um, and, and order them. Um, and, uh, I'm definitely going to be ordering some and, uh, and, and reading, reading through those. Um, I remember you mentioned somebody in the sermon, Blake, was it Blake Pascal? Is that right?
1: Blaise Pascal. Yeah.
0: Blake Blaise Pascal. So what, what is his history and his experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit?
1: Oh, so I wish I, man, I wish I knew more. I mean, he's a, 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 a he, so he wrote some, he's, he's famous for being a, a brilliant mind. Um, mathematician, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 17th century mathematician mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and philosopher. And so he, I mean, uh, his story, I, I don't, I don't know a whole lot more other than what i shared in the sermon. Um, but his story has been told many places. Um, I mean, you can just Google his name and, um, night of fire and you'll find websites that talk about what he wrote, his uh, he, we, there's a surviving document from him describing that night which I'm I'm fairly certain that the words that he wrote he was writing them as this experience happened but um, basically it was th- this incredible experience that that lasted over, over the course of, of several hours mm-hmm. um, and he he you know wrote in his journal and like in all caps, Um, fire and then God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, Mm. certitudes, feeling joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, joy, 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 tears of joy. Mm. Uh, he had that, um, he had that written and then, um, um, I believe it was him who had it stitched into his jacket, um, because that, uh, experience was so transformative for him. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about these stories is you, you get the sense that the people who have these experiences, even though this, the experience terminates, it ends, they are changed as a person. Yeah. Um, so who they are after that is just different. And not it's not that they weren't Christians before that. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that. But it does leave a mark, um, right. a mark in a really good way. Right. That was certainly the case with Dwight Moody. You know, he, his ministry seemed to have exploded on the, on the other side of, mm-hmm. of this, which, which is, again, that's what it's about. It's not just an experience for you as an individual. It's, it's for the building up of the church. Of, of course, we're a part of the church, so we benefit from that. But um, some of these some of these people who have this experience, um, I mean, that's what happened with Paul, you know, his ministry. And it's what happened with Jesus. You know, with both of them, the baptism of spirit led to ministry mm-hmm. that um, that was all about promoting the love of God that was breaking into the yeah, world.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, um, that's so. That's like another motivation to just to seek this out and to ask God, um, because it is about others and and loving others. And another point on that, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but you know you don't have to be afraid. Like if there's people out there that are um, abusing the Holy Spirit or whatever, we, you know, we've kind of talked about that. But I think that, that God will give you a sense um, and you'll know. But one thing certainly that the Bible talks about is how the Holy Spirit glorifies um, the Lord Jesus. And so yeah. anything that is self-glorification or whatever, and you have that caution light in you, you should probably pay attention to that. <laughs> so, so, yes. so but but don't yeah, shut down. Right. If somebody says this and that, don't shut down. Just like um, just like if if somebody is uh if if a church leader falls or whatever, then we wouldn't say, well, we're gonna shut down church. So we, <laughs> you know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater and see this as you've been talking. I just think about just this invitation to take a journey with the Lord and to just press in and and to ask him and to take his hand um, and yeah. like you're saying you know he he will do the rest he will absolutely do the rest um, I'm also reminded of um, mark chapter 4 in the in the parable of the seeds that you know God explained to us through that parable one of the big principles of that parable is that, um, you know, Jesus explained things to his disciples when he was alone with them. But to the Pharisees, to people that were not interested in listening, he did not divulge into, you know, he says that in the parable, into those uh, secrets. And so there's a principle there that when I sit with Jesus, you know, he's going to keep Bringing me deeper and deeper into understanding Mm. him. And, you know, I love that scripture in Ephesians that talks about the love of God, how wide and how deep. And I'm always telling women, you'll never get to the bottom of it. And there's almost a beauty in that. This, because if we did know everything, that I could be in control, I wouldn't need to seek God. But the beauty, is not in arriving at a certain destination. It's in the journey. You know, the uh the you know Dwight Moody just cry out to God. I mean, that was probably just such a beautiful experience. And um so I was so appreciative of those two stories that you brought up because it just mm-hmm. highlighted, you know, the journey and um you know, not to just get discouraged or, or look for this this instant uh, fix. I, I do yeah. want us to talk about some cessationism. Did I say that right? Um, yes. So that is the belief. And some of you may listening, may very well, you know, believe that or attend churches that believe in cessationalism. But, um, and if I were to just quickly define it, I would say that a sensationalist believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased, that there was a point in time where they ceased. And so they would say, well, yes, you see them in the Bible, but what we believe is that there was a point in time where, you know, we had the Bible, and so now now the gifts of the Spirit um, have, have ceased. And so— yeah. So Go I ahead. think, well, I think, um,
1: so I think there's a spectrum actually. So okay. I think it, you know, cessation is, cessationists probably don't all, wouldn't all articulate this the same way. And I actually think that most of them would affirm that many of the gifts of the spirit do, but that okay. the, the supernatural gifts in particular, prophecy, tongues, um, miracles depending um you know like can can you do on-demand healing is that is that do Mm -hmm. some people have a unique because like i I would i know someone who he thinks that god still heals miraculously but that nobody has a unique gift of healing god can heal through anybody at any time and so i think there are some shades with some of this but yes cessationists in general they believe in the ceasing of that supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit's work that really seems to characterize the New Testament church in the book of Acts in terms of prophecy and tongues. They would say that those in particular words of knowledge, those those, those um, experiences that seem to require s- something supernatural to happen, that those don't happen today um, at all or don't happen nearly like they used to. Um, yeah,
0: so and and that's a real you know belief um, out there and, and like I said you may be um, uh, that that may be your belief you can tell I'm kind of nervous like broaching this topic because I don't, I don't want to offend anybody but I'd love for you to say Pastor Brian like what um, from what would you say to somebody that says you know that this is what I believe there's no more prophecy uh, there's no more miracles what would you say.
1: So I think the first thing I would say, and this is the advantage of being a charismatic and not a cessationist, actually, is that um, I don't look at them and I I wouldn't look at a cessationist and say that they're not a Christian or that they are, um, because I don't think that you have to hold the charismatic theology to be saved. I think faith in Jesus saves. So I think it's easy for when I see, I have friends who are cessationists Mm -hmm. and I'm not Sort of up in arms about it. They don't make me uncomfortable. I frankly think they're missing out. It, um, mm-hmm. I, in essence, sense, I'm sad for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that there's more on offer, um, and so I, I think my posture towards someone who's a cessationist is, is really one of charity and warmth. Um, anyone who calls Christ Lord is my brother or sister. So um, I think the the best argument that I've heard. And I, I so and I don't want to so I don't want to misrepresent cessationists. There are very, very thoughtful, scholarly cessationists who love Jesus, who know way more than me and are way smarter than me. And I wouldn't want to misrepresent any of them. Mm-hmm. But the strongest arguments that I've heard for cessationism are actually not based on the Bible. Um, because you really you just can't make scripture say that in there. There are cessationists who will try to argue their position from Scripture. Um, they'll kind of uh, let's see, First Corinthians 13. They'll they'll look at that often and say, um, uh, when in verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. First Corinthians 13 is actually part of the whole treatise on spiritual gifts, which goes 12 through 14. And so, you know, there's the question of, well, what's the perfect? What is that about? Um, I, I I would say like the over I think it's very clear that the the reference to the perfect is the return of Christ um not the canon so I think some cessationists will will say something like well the perfect the when the perfect comes that's reference to the to the, the canon being closed and then these these things will go away i that's the closest you can get in scripture in my opinion um that the spiritual gifts cease and I don't think it's a good argument I think there are cessationists which will admit that, and then they make, I think, a much stronger argument, which is they just look at church history. And I think there is something to be reckoned with that across church history it does not seem that the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have been um, displayed to a uniform degree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, I think, can find communities that exist over very long periods of time where these gifts are not manifested. But it, it, it's ultimately an argument from experience, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an argument from limited experience because there are, there are in the historical record and people alive today who have very, very different experiences. Like we, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tried to really give you know just a nod to that with a few of those stories in the sermon that I preached. You. Mm-hmm. You have to reckon with the fact that you can't say that there's no stories of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. I think. It, I think also the cessationist position. I think it requires a certain degree of cynicism because you're basically discounting the experience of so many Christians who are saying that they're having legitimate experience.
0: Right.
1: I, I yeah. I I wouldn't want to take take the word of so many brothers and sisters and just sort of disqualify it because I haven't experienced that. Mm-hmm. I think to a certain degree we find what we're looking for. And so if you're not looking for this, you don't find it. Um, you know, seek, you know, knock, seek, seek and knock. And I think that's, that's the imperative we're given. You have to ask and people who don't ask if they don't ask, you know, I don't think it's fair to judge others who have asked and found, mm-hmm. uh, and that's to, and point. to start it. Yeah. So, um, I also think something, this was helpful for me, um, to, to sort of process because I, so I came out of a, I've, I've been all over the evangelical spectrum. Um, and even p- more broadly than that, I have a very ecumenical background, um, which I'm grateful for. It's given me a lot of, um, yeah, I think warmth to brothers and sisters in various theological traditions, mm-hmm. uh, I think that one of the things that cessationists will often get right is that they will point to the ways that the gifts of the Spirit are used inappropriately or in violation of the principles in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think sometimes cessationists will have a standard that doesn't get applied to anything else in the same way. For example, you know, we might look at how someone's using the gift of tongues, and without the gift of interpretation in a public setting, which really, you know, Paul seems to really discourage that. Or um, someone will exercise a prophetic gift, and it won't be fulfilled in maybe the way that we were expecting, or it seems like that maybe they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. And and then that will be used to say, see these things. It's used to disparage the the practicing of these gifts. But at the same time, we can look at people who exercise gifts of teaching and leadership, and they get it wrong all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean the gift isn't real. Yeah. It means that they're human beings and they, you know, so someone can teach, uh, someone can have a lifetime of teaching and look over their shoulder and realize once or twice, man, gosh, I taught the wrong thing. I yeah, I got that wrong in that sermon. I, yep. I've changed. But that doesn't invalidate the ministry of teaching that person was given. Mm-hmm. And it is— I think I may have pointed this out in the sermon, but I want to kind of hammer at this. Mm-hmm. It is if it is remarkable mm-hmm. that Paul gives such a lofty view of the spiritual gifts in First Corinthians, because I think if you do a very thorough exegesis of the entire letter of First Corinthians, what becomes very clear is that Paul is dealing with a group of people who are obsessed with spiritual knowledge, they're spiritually proud. Mm-hmm. He's actually trying to temper their obsession with those things. Mm -hmm. And you've got prophets who are so um, either arrogant or um, lack self-awareness. They're they're speaking on top of each other. They're dishonoring each other. It's Mm -hmm. clearly – it seems to be all about them. I mean there's even the, the issue of idol meat that gets brought up in chapters um, eight, 9 and 10, the, the issue there is this spiritual arrogance um, that keeps 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 coming up. It's these these people who, you know, oh, I'm so strong, I can eat, I don't eat, I don't need to, you know, Paul's like, hey, aren't you worried about your younger brother? There's this lack of humility through the entire letter. And the, the point I'm making is, is it's a remarkable thing that Paul wrote to these people and he still said, eagerly desire these gifts.
0: Mm, gosh, I've never so, thought about it that way.
1: Yeah. So Paul is writing to people who are abusing the gifts. And he doesn't say, All right, you know, pump the brakes, guys. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say, You don't need you shouldn't use the gifts anymore. No, he's he's calling for a retrieval of love. That's first mm. Corinthians 13. You keep using the gifts, Corinthians, but use them for love, use them for the building up of the body and the love of Jesus. So, so I think for a cessationist who feels kind of rightly troubled by the excesses of the charismatic community, mm-hmm. um, I would say, man, d- don't. Uh, you, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that we need to be more comfortable with the abuses of the spiritual gifts, but I am saying the abuses do not invalidate the gifts. And even our brothers, and and, and what's really shocking is, g- grace is scandalous, right? So, Paul looks at these prophets who are using, abusing their gifts, and he still calls them prophets. The Holy Spirit is still content to give His power to these broken, sinful, um, fleshly people.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, God, God works through us, jars of clay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And Gosh. so I think. We, so we don't that. want to dishonor, even even where our brothers and sisters maybe get carried away and use the gifts inappropriately. We don't want to dishonor them. Yeah. Uh, if God is still pleased to give them the power of His Spirit, who are we to say that He's made a mistake? Amen. It's not. It's not. Not our place. Amen. So I, I think. I, I think there's a way. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm just encouraging cessationists to maybe. I, I, I'm obviously hoping for some openness to to these things, but but also to not, like you said earlier, not throw the. I think you said this earlier about, throw, you know, we don't want the to throw baby the baby out
0: with the bath. bathwater.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We,
0: we, we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's a southern term. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, definitely not. And but I've never thought about it that way. I've never even seen that. It's so powerful, Brian. Like that, you know, that Paul was coming to rein it back in and to you know bring that biblical um, that biblical uh, framework in into the Holy Spirit uh, I've never thought about that, but he never said we're stopping this altogether. Let's everybody yeah. just stop. He never said pull the plug. he said he said desire it more. And I think what you've given me today, is just this freedom um, to not worry about failing when you're seeking God, or you know, d- you know, doing it the wrong way or whatever, but just to seek Him and and to just to dive deep, and you don't have to necessarily get it right. And if this person did it wrong, it doesn't mean that you throw out the baby with with the bathwater. Um, and- Correct. And I love that. I love that. that, I think this
1: also goes the other direction. Um, So I think a fear, if you're a cessationist and you're beginning to warm to this, the fear can be, oh, but what does this mean for my church, my church tradition that I came out of? It doesn't mean that you you have to go the other direction and throw the baby out with the bathwater that way either. I Mm -hmm. think um, you—I— I, I kind of joke sometimes that I, I'm a Christian imperialist. I want everything because, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that everything is mine. You know, it's, um, it, it's that same letter, actually, to the same group of people. You've got people dividing over. I follow Paul. I, I, I follow Paul, Paul. I follow Apollos. There's this division within the church, and Paul's like, what are you nuts? Why would you choose? it's Everything's yours. Paul's yours. Apollos is yours you know, let no one boast in men. All things are yours. Paul, Mm -hmm. Apollo, Cephas, the world, life, death, the present, the future, your charisma, the charismatic gifts, the gifts of the spirit, the tradition that you came out of, like it's, it can all bless you. Mm -hmm. So I think we, I think we naturally kind of go to a tribalism where, um, Mm -hmm. if, if, if we feel like I, I know somebody who's wrestling with this, this very issue, and he's in a, He's in a cessationist church, but I wouldn't want him to just turn around and abandon the pastors who have faithfully shepherded him for many, many years. I I think that they're wrong on this issue, but they're not wrong on everything,
0: and he doesn't need to
1: feel that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well said. Well said. Well, I've been inspired through this, Pastor Brian. Thank you so much you have awesome. truly like wet my appetite more for some more of God and I couldn't agree more because I want everything that he has he has too um and I just really appreciate the illustrations, the words that you've wrapped around this um because it has been, so helpful and that's exactly why I wanted to share this with our podcast audience um and so thank you so much for sharing with us today
1: yeah absolutely Eileen i I'm um, it's a privilege to, to to be asked and so um I'm, I'm grateful to have had the the time with you
0: Well, we just appreciate it so much. And hey, everybody, I will leave the links to all of these resources, the books um, that Pastor Brian mentioned, and then, of course, to um, my beloved One Harbor Church. I just love that church community so much. Um, So you can listen into some of their sermons as well. And remember, God has set the table and— you don't have to have perfect manners. The partner beside you eating at the table may mm. not have done it all right, but don't let that stop you from enjoying the nourishment that God has for you because mm. you need it to be able to give His love to others others. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.